Would you open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 34? While you're doing that, I want to tell you, uh, most of you know this about uh, my wife and I. We've been married now for some years, 23 years, 23 glorious years. I would not forget a single one of them. Uh, 23 years. Now, when Janice and I first got married, we moved to a tropical island. It was supposed to just be a three-hour cruise, but things went bad. Some of you get that. Some of you are like, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. You know, yes, she got it. So, no, we, we moved to a tropical island. We did actually move to Hawaii. And uh, I was in the Marine Corps at the time, and we moved to Hawaii. I, I'll never forget uh, when, we, when we went, th- we had no idea what we were getting into. Uh, we were <laughs> really ill-prepared. But we got to the airport, and there were all these taxis, and among the taxis were limos, limousines, right? That was, you know, they were much more popular back at that day. And this was a really beautiful, old-school, 90s-something Cadillac, whatever. I did not select it. The guy at the taxi stand just put us in this. And so we get there. We have just arrived in Hawaii. The taxi guy throws us in a limousine. I say, I'm going to Kaneohe Bay. It's on the other side of the island. And so Janice and I ride in a limousine all the way across the island of Oahu, our faces are plastered to the windows, and we're like, this is amazing. And then we pull up to the front gate <coughs> at, at, at Marine Corps Base Hawaii, and they're like, what is this? Uh, but we got to live in Hawaii for three years, and I'll tell you, man, who, who here has been to Hawaii? Okay, a spattering of you. Listen, let me tell you, Hawaii is amazing. It, it's absolutely amazing. I, I, admittedly, I think it's tougher to live there maybe than it is to vacation there. Uh, but uh, we, we lived there for three years. No joke, we lived in, a, in kind of a, a, an apartment complex. We had a lanai off the back porch. We could look off this direction, and there was a beautiful beach, and it was the ocean, and it was gorgeous, and it was adjacent to one of the top 10 beaches in the world called Kailua Beach. It was a rough life. Uh, and, and we would go hiking on these trails, and, and there would be these beautiful, wild impatience. Does anybody know what an impatient is? Not your spouse. It's, it's a big, huge flower, and they were wild, and they grew in all colors, and they were like bushes. They were so beautiful, and they grew, and we would hike, and there were waterfalls, and when it would rain in Hawaii, there would be waterfalls all through the mountains as the water came cascading down the mountains. We used to go to this place on the North Shore. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a shaved ice place, and it was the best shaved ice I've ever had in my life. It would melt in your mouth, and they would put these delicious beans. What kind of beans were they? I can't remember. They would put these delicious beans in the bottom of the, of the snow cone cup, and it was, like, it was like when you got to the end of the snow cone, and there was this delicious morsel of something else for you. It was just fantastic, and, 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 and we would ride our motorcycle back then. Janice actually got on my motorcycle with me, and we would ride around the entire island, and we would see the mountains, and we would see the sunsets, and, and sometimes we would go out onto the coast, and we would swim with the dolphins for free. <laughs> it can be done. And the weather there was just beautiful. It, it, it rained sometimes. In fact, if you, if you wanted to have a rainy day, you could get on the highway and drive from the side of the island that we lived on over to Honolulu, Waikiki area. And if you drove on a highway, no joke, that was called the Leaky Leaky Highway, I promise you, you get rained on. It was kind of ironic. But it just, not, it just seemed to rain almost every day, but never that much, just enough to kind of cool you off a little bit. 
It was just an absolutely amazing experience that we had. The food, the weather, the beaches, the everything. There was this great little Korean restaurant we used to go to right outside the base. And I had never been a Korean restaurant guy, but I even ate kimchi. You ever had kimchi? You probably have some in your fridge right now. You don't know about it. It's going to be towards the back, and it's going to look rotten, but it's kimchi, you know? Um, if you, some of you just look kimchi up when you get home. You know what I'm talking about. They had kimchi, but they had this delicious little soup. It was a clear soup, and my wife and I would go there. We, I'll tell you what, if you want to go to Hawaii, go without your kids. And that's what made Hawaii so fun for us for three years. We would go out to eat at this little Korean restaurant, and it got to the point where we were going there enough that the waitress, she knew who I was, she knew what I liked, and when we would order our soups that came before the meal, she'd always bring me a big bowl of this soup, and it was so delicious. I've never found anything like it ever. Someday, we'll go back. We'll go, no kids. We'll go back to Hawaii and, and, uh, and spend some time there. <laughs> I, I could tell you all day long about how wonderful Hawaii living, how wonderful Hawaii was and living there, and it, it truly was. It was absolutely amazing. Um, but the only way you can really understand is to go there yourself. You, you really got to go to Hawaii. Um, you're going to have to experience it for yourself. And so I would say, go. Go to Hawaii. Life is too short. Go to Hawaii, all right? Experience it. Get to have fun with it. Uh, the psalm that we're going to look at today, it's a psalm of testimony of David, where he's encouraging people to experience something. He is inviting them to taste and see how truly incredible God is. Now, the background for our psalm today actually comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in 1 Samuel 21, we find a story about David, and this was at a season in David's life when he was on the run from Saul, because David was kind of an up-and-comer in the kingdom. He was gaining popularity. People kind of liked what David was about. Saul was feeling a little bit threatened by that. And so David was on the run. And our script in, 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 uh, in Psalm 34 tells us that, that this psalm is tied to a particular time in that season when David pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech. And then Abimelech sent him away. But if you turn to 1 Samuel 21, you read the story, you find out about a name, a king by the name of King Achish. And so it's confusing. Why is he called King Achish in Psalm 30, or Psalm, or 1 Samuel 21, but he's called Abimelech in Psalm 34, and here's why. The reason is that Abimelech is kind of like a name for an overall sovereign. It would be like saying the Pharaoh of Egypt, but then the Pharaoh himself would have a specific name, or the presidency of the United States, but then the president has a specific name. So when it says Abimelech, it's referring to the kingship, but the king was actually a guy by the name of King Achish. And so in the story, David pretends to be insane to try to get away from King Achish because the king has realized who David is. David is a guy who's threatening the throne of King Saul. And so King Achish thinks I'm going to have to probably do something with him. And so what does David do? It's a really great story. You should go back and read it. He begins drooling through his beard, and he's like scratching at the wall. You've probably seen your kids do this. It's, it's, a, it's a defense technique. And <clears throat> the king Achish said, hey, this guy's crazy. Get him out of my presence. I don't want him here. And so he escapes. And this psalm, Psalm 34, is tied to David's reflection on that moment. 
But it helps us to understand David's state of mind. Because he was relieved that he was safe. Uh, he was recognizing that God had delivered him from that moment with King Achish. And then what we read in this psalm really is just an outpouring of David's heart. So let's begin there, Psalm 34. We're going to look at these just a few verses at a time together today. This is what it says in verse 1. I will, pardon me, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. I will bless the Lord. I'm sorry, let me stop, stop there. <clears throat> Come, let us exalt His name together. And now, some translations will say here, as we see here in the NRSV, will say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And this is probably a slightly better translation and a better understanding for us as we look to these first few if we look at these first few verses together because bless to bless in this particular context means to kneel before something that is sovereign bless means to kneel before something that is sovereign and then when you take and you combine with the words praise and boast both of which have their meaning rooted in the Hebrew word hallel which is HLL, we can put together kind of a better understanding of what these first few lines of David's psalm actually mean, and it's simply this. David is saying, hallelujah. That's what he's saying, simply. Hallelujah. Now, that's a word we're pretty familiar with. We sing it. Sometimes if we're really excited about what the Indians or the Guardians have done, uh, and maybe, now maybe you're hearing this explanation for the first time. This idea of praise and boast, both rooted in the word hallel, is where we get the word hallelujah from because we take hallel and we combine it with Yah, which is the name for God, Yahweh, and this means together, guess what? Praise God. And so David begins this psalm, verses 1 through 3, and we can take what he says in those first three sentences and essentially combine it into one statement from David, and it's this, hallelujah, praise God. He goes on, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And I, I really love this particular section here because it's a testimony to what David did and how God responded. And it's simply this, I asked God and he came through. That's the testimony. I asked God and he came through. Now next week, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about what David says in verse 5 regarding shame, but, but I just want to quickly point out that David is so clear here that when our spirit is in pursuit of God, when he is our source, when he is our resource, there is an elimination of shame from our lives. An elimination of shame from our lives, and it is replaced with joy. So regardless of what your past may have held, your life is now filled with joy. Listen, guys, shame has no place in the life of a Christian. It has no place in the life of a Christian. It is a tool that Satan uses to keep you tied up to where you once used to be. 
not where you are today. Now, we're going to deal with that. I could preach a whole message on that. We're going to talk about that more next week. You should probably come back. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you, God, you His godly people, for those who fear Him will have all that they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. I just want us to think for just a moment, if, if it's true that this psalm came out of David's experience with King Achish, and I believe that it is, and, and that episode from 1 Samuel 21 where David acted like he was insane to avoid uh, a problem with the king, just think about how David might have been at this moment. Just, if you can, just kind of put yourself in David's frame of mind. Perhaps another way uh, uh, to hear David's words could be, you have got to check this out. Now, okay, hold on a second. The dude just got himself out of a squeeze by acting insane, by drooling down his face and scratching the wall. That's, I mean, most of us would just run. And I just think that in that, at that point, David's state of mind was like, you've got to check this out. <laughs> you... You will not believe what I just did. You will not believe what just happened. You have got to check this out. I'm telling you, if you will run to God, he will take care of it. Maybe David says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. We probably wouldn't. So here's the king, and he's finding out who I am, so I immediately start drooling and scratching the wall. It was hilarious. You should have been there. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it if I told you, said David. You're just going to have to take my word for it. <clears throat> you, ever, you ever been around somebody that's like just intoxicatingly fun? I know. <laughs> now, you, you ever been around somebody who's just, I mean, there's, you just want to spend more time with them. There's just something about them. Have you ever been around somebody like that? There's just something, something about their personality that it just draws you in. Maybe it's their laugh. Maybe it's, it's the fact that it just seems like nothing ever really fully gets them down. Maybe, maybe it's because they're just so full of energy, so even when you're tired, it's like you can draw energy just from being with them. They're just intoxicating. There's something contagious about being with them. You get excited, and you're full of joy, and you're full of energy. They're just so much fun to be with. You ever been with somebody like that? It's contagious, isn't it? I mean, you may walk away from it going, oh, I'm tired. <clears throat> or maybe you walk away from it revived and, and energized and, and you just feel better because you have to spend some time with this person. You know, people are drawn to people that are life-giving. People, people, people want to be around people that are worth being around. Okay? They, they want to be around people that make them smile and make them laugh and make them feel loved and, and be around people that are comforting to them. They want to be around people like that. Even those of you who are serious, serious introverts, you're like, I don't want to be around people like that. I promise you do. Spend a long day with the wall, and eventually you're going to want somebody to smile at you. 
even the most introverted of us, at some point, we need someone. We need a friendly smile, a friendly voice. We we are drawn to that which is appealing and life-giving. And if you have really experienced something amazing, you're going to want to tell people about it, I think. And even more, you're going to want them to experience it for themselves. Can you imagine if I said, hey, man, my wife and I, we went up to Cleveland the other night. We went to this incredible restaurant. The service, like the waiter, I mean, they came right out. They took our jackets. They hung them up. They laid the napkins on our laps, and they poured the drinks, and the hors d'oeuvres were absolutely incredible, and the steak came out. It was wonderful. You're like, oh, my goodness, that sounds so good. Where is it? And I'm like, well, I mean, you probably don't want to go. I mean, yeah. But seriously, it was the best dinner I've ever had. Well, I really like to go. I mean, eh, it wasn't that great. Does that even make any sense? No. It makes no sense. <laughs> that was not David's heart. He had experienced what it was like to find refuge in God. He he had seen what happens firsthand when you really lean into God, when you really rely on God. And the cry of his heart, do you know what the cry of David's heart was? Taste and see. The Lord is good. And then he says something incredibly important. He reminds us of the importance of fearing God. And this idea, this instruction to fear the Lord, we find it all throughout Scripture. Fearing the Lord is not about being scared of Him, but about having a healthy understanding of who and what God is, and then allowing that understanding to establish in our hearts the appropriate place of lordship over our lives. You hear me this morning? The fear of the Lord is about understanding who He is and then allowing that to place the appropriate lordship which requires submission on our part, by the way, guys. Lordship over our lives. David says that all those who fear him will have all that they need. I know you've heard that before. God is sovereign Lord, the creator of all things, but he's also provider. He says this, come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil. Does anyone want to live a life that's prosperous? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. You want to live a life that's long and prosperous? Turn away from evil and do good. You want to live a life that's long and prosperous? Search for peace, church. Search for peace, man of God, woman of God. Search for peace and then work to maintain it. We find, again, in this passage, so common throughout the Psalms, the exhortation, the command from God to not just trust Him, but also to obey Him. There is a necessary connection 
that must be drawn in our lives between our decision to trust God and the response of our lives to then choose obedience in all that we do. And, and, and I sometimes think... I sometimes think that far too many Christians are missing this important truth in Scripture. We just miss it, or maybe we just ignore it. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure because I'm not in your mind. I just know what I see. We, we, we want to trust in God. You know why? Because trusting in God is really comforting. Trusting in God makes me feel really good. I trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. I trust that God is going to be there for me. I trust that God is going to be faithful to me. I trust that God is going to love me. And, and that makes us feel comfortable, and it should. We want to trust that God will do all these things that he promises he will do, that when we run to him, that he will provide for us, that when we give ourselves to him, that he will give himself to us. We want all those things, but with that trust... There is also an expectation of obedience on our part. And that obedience, it looks different from the world. Your life should look different than the world. It, so that obedience forces us to stand out. It forces us to be separated from the world because what the world is applauding and what the world is celebrating is not what God is applauding and celebrating. The obedience that we have to God instead marks us as holy and righteous and living in the will of God. Somebody ought to be hearing this today. I don't know what it is that we get to a certain point and we start to hear things that make us uncomfortable and we get real quiet. Obedience to God in our lives will make your life markedly different from the world. And so it forces you to ask yourself this question today. If my life is not markedly different from the world, am I being obedient to God? Because I would tell you, you're not. Scripture would tell us you're not. Because obedience produces holiness. Holiness makes us more Christ-like. Christ-likeness puts us back into the position where God created us to be in the very first place. And I'm going to tell you something. Christ-likeness, holiness, righteousness, obedience does not at all look like what's going on outside our doors. You should be different. You cannot just live on the trust without grasping the obedience. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that there are a lot of people sitting in a lot of chairs and pews today in churches who are trusting God, but they are failing to obey Him, and they are going to meet a rude awakening. Here's the good news. There are a lot of people who are sitting in a lot of chairs and a lot of pews on Sunday morning today, and they are only trusting God, but they're failing to obey Him. But I want you to understand that the grace of God is beyond anything you could ever see or imagine, and He is just waiting. He is just waiting for you to flip that switch. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. 
His ears are open to their cries for help, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Wow. What a great promise. <laughs> For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous, but not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished, but the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. What, what incredible promises of God. What incredible promises of God. Lord, have mercy on our unreceptive spirits. Oh. He is listening and He is watching. God is listening and He is watching. He remains close even when you are brokenhearted. He rescues you when your spirit is crushed. He protects and provides. God redeems. I just can't help but think about the many people in our world today who just feel abandoned. They're lost and they're confused. They're trying to create their own identity based upon what the world's telling them they should create it on. They're feeling like they're not good enough or that life is not worth living. The list could go on and on and on. But there is an answer to these issues. There is an answer to all these questions. And that answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to whatever, whatever it is that you're facing today. Whatever, whatever it is that's weighing you down, whatever burden that's got you down, Jesus is the answer to that. Now hear me today. Whatever brokenness you are experiencing, Jesus is the answer to that. Whatever sickness or disease or pain or hurt that you have going on in your life right now, hear me today, Jesus is the answer to that. You young people in this room today, you kids that are here, first of all, thank your parents for bringing you here. You need to hear the Word of God taught. Jesus is the answer to whatever you're going to face in your life. Whatever trial you're going to endure, whatever, whatever obstacle you're going to face, Jesus is the answer. And here's the reason why Jesus is the answer. Because when you make the decision to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to trust and obey Him, He will guide your steps through every circumstance that you face. He will give you comfort through every pain that you endure. He will give you refuge from every attack that you will face. He will redeem you when you have been beat down. He will restore you when you have been broken. Jesus and only Jesus can do this for you.
I think that's good news. Is your life intoxicating? Are you contagious? Or are you an insufferable bore of a Christian? I think we have a decent mix here. Oh, he said it. I've been an insufferable bore of a Christian. I probably was this week at some point or another, just trying to get things done, just going about the day, running around town. Nobody would know any different based on the way I acted or the way I treated people. No one would know any different. God forgive me for being an insufferable bore of a Christian. Well, pastor, I'm not a very bubbly person. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not, don't be weird. Nobody's asking you to be weird. I mean, some of you are weird and you do it really well, but... I just think that there should be something about our lives that people look at us and we can say, taste and see, and they go, I am into that. I want some of that. But instead, we're like, taste and see. And they're like, I'm not interested. I am not buying what you're selling. Why would I want, why would I want to do what you're doing? It apparently it's not working for you anyway. There is no reason why every seat in our worship centers should not be packed out because every day of your life you are on fire for Jesus and everything about your life screams, taste and see, taste and see, the Lord is good. But it doesn't, guys. It doesn't. Maybe it's because we trust and don't obey, I don't know. Or maybe it's because we, we get discouraged because we think, okay, if I trust and I obey, then everything's going to be great. But if we look at the life of David or many other characters we find in Scripture like Job, John the Baptist, Peter, we can see that faithfulness to God, choosing to trust and obey Him, does not guarantee a carefree life. I'm sorry. If you have felt misled up to this point, I apologize. I have never meant to let you think that following Christ meant easy street. If you came into this church this morning thinking that following Christ meant easy street, I'm sorry. If you'll give me a moment, I'll correct that for you. We see David's own words, and we see in verse 6 of 34 here, confirms this. He said, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. That indicates a problem. But the Lord hears. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. And so the good news for all of us today is that God is with those who are brokenhearted. You're brokenhearted today? God is with you. Are you crushed in spirit today? God is with you. 
but life is still available to be experienced in the midst of whatever it is that you're suffering from or with or through. It's not just something to be experienced beyond the suffering. And the way that that kind of life is experienced is by taking our refuge in God. That's how you experience that kind of life. We never may be faced with the same kind of experience like David was. You may never have a king wondering if maybe he might should kill you right now, and you maybe maybe never be drawn to the point where you feel like, I need, I need to drool in my beard right now. I think the best option is for me to scratch the wall. That may never be a situation you find yourself in, but I promise you, you are going to face challenges, and you are going to face battles, and you are going to have very low points in your life, and they are not going to be easy. But God's promises of redemption and rescue remain. I know that some of you have experienced that rescue and redemption. You've come out of a, a life completely separated from God, and today you're walking with Jesus. I know some of you have that story to tell. You're walking in that redemption. You're living in the refuge of God's shadow, as the psalmist writes about. You know exactly what I'm talking about because that's the life you live. But I wonder, are you inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good? Or are you just enjoying the ride? You see, this is what I love so much about David in a large part of the Psalms here. Is there a testimony to the reality that life is going to be tough? <laughs> it's it's going to be challenging, but God's always faithful. And there are testimony to the fact that even, even if you are called a person after God's own heart, which David was, it does not mean that you're going to have some kind of a magical hedge of protection that's built around you because things are going to happen. But God remains faithful. And the beauty of it is that when we walk that path of trusting God and we remain obedient to God, regardless of the eventual outcome, we can truly stand back and point and say, you know, oh, the Lord has been so good to me. Man, I've been through some stuff. The Lord has been so good to me. And that's what it's all about. You know, I, I, I think when... <laughs> When Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28 to go, to go and make more disciples, do you think that he expected them to be sour pusses everywhere they went? We kind of chuckle, but I would encourage you to look to your left and right, right now. I don't know if you remember, it's been about 55 minutes, but there is joy in the house of the Lord. <laughs> I wonder if when he sent his disciples out to make, to make more disciples, if, if, he, if he expected them to have just a bitter disposition about the state of the world. I mean, because things were kind of not so great back then. It, it, do you, do you, was that the expectation? Like, I want you to go out and make disciples, but I also, you know, I know you're going to be bitter, and I know you're going to be angry, you know, and that's okay, but just make disciples. You think that's what he expected? Or do you think that he expected them to be, to be men and women and children who, despite the challenges that they would inevitably face, and there were many, would continually point to the goodness of God and say, look how good God has been to me. 
was told a few weeks ago that I'm a Baptist preacher. Listen to what Peter says, a disciple of Jesus. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. He sounds pretty like he's not in a good place, right? He says, and we have a priceless inheritance. Boo-hoo is me. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to say, so be truly glad because there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. Well, wait a second. He, he doesn't sound that boo-hoo-y, does he? Peter went through some things. I, I could tell you guys about the last time that I got arrested, hung upside down, and a, and a lion was allowed to nibble on my toes, but I don't have time for that. He says, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I'm sorry, I know I'm really, really fast, Kim. So you must live, you must live as, she's a wonderful interpreter, and she told me a couple weeks ago, you got to slow down, buddy. Uh, <laughs> so you must live as God's obedient children. Oh, wait a second, hold on. So you must live as God's obedient children. Huh. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. This is good stuff. We should preach First Peter. You didn't know any better then. That means you've gotten better. You should have improved from where you used to be. Christian, you should have improved from where... That's another sermon. I don't have time for that one. (laughs) But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say you must be holy as I am holy. You know, for those of us who are walking with Jesus who are living in the trust and obedience that God calls us to, the call to live a life that says, taste and see for the Lord is good, it's an imperative. It's crucial. Guys, this is not just a neat idea. I'm I'm not standing before you this morning and making a suggestion for your life. You know, it would be great, guys, if we, you know, We're a little happier. We were more, even more joy-filled. It'd be great if your life actually reflected that the Lord is good. It would be great if people were really drawn to who you are. as a fo- I'm not saying that would be great. I'm saying this is a must. This is how you're called to live. And, and I would challenge you to, to, to maybe just reflect and assess your own life because if that's not happening, there's something missing. And for those of us who are walking apart from Jesus, or we have, we have rejected or ignored that call to trust in God, and we've just been disobedient in our lives, the call to receive the salvation that has been offered to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is available.
And in that, we are given freely this amazing gift of forgiveness. Remember, Peter talked about who you used to be, who you once were. I thank God I'm not who I used to be. Redemption, being made available, and the shame of your past. Oh, this is a big one. The shame of your past. Gone. Gone. Jesus instituted a celebration for us. We call it a variety of things. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. We call it Eucharist, which means a time of thanksgiving. And, and he did this to provide for us a space in our worship of God for thanksgiving and reflection, but also so that we would have before us a tangible reminder of his sacrifice. It is a literal taste and see that the Lord is good. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, he gave them two physical reminders of the sacrifice that he was walking toward. And the first one was the bread. And remember, Jesus broke the bread, and, and that symbolized his broken body. And then there was the wine, which symbolized his blood that was going to be poured out. His blood is poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a literal taste and see that the Lord is good. And maybe that's what you need today. Maybe you need a literal taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe it would be enough for you to step out of whatever funk it is that you kind of live most of your life in, if you could have a literal taste and see today. Maybe for some of you who are walking apart from Jesus, a literal taste and see today would be enough for you to figure out, for something to switch in your heart, and for you to understand that Jesus loves you so much that He died for you. That Jesus loves you so much that he gave up everything so that you could have new life. Maybe, maybe the literal taste and see of Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper of Communion would be enough for your life to have a marked change starting today. We're going to receive the elements in a moment. And we're going to take a moment to taste and see that the Lord is good. But as we do this, I just want to remind you that this sacrament, we consider it a means of grace. And what that means is that as we receive this sacrament, our participation in it can be a landmark in your own life. It can be a place that you go point back to and you say, 
I remember it was this day that I tasted and I saw for the first time the goodness of God in my life. It was this day when I was reminded of the taste and, and, and the sight of what God has done for me, and it brought me to a new place in my walk with Jesus. This can be a landmark place for you today if you will allow it to be. If you will receive the grace that God has for you. It can be a moment for you, perhaps the first, second, third, umpteenth time, I don't know, when you come to the foot of the cross where Jesus died and you repent of who you have been in order that you can become who God intends you to be. So I want you to take a moment today. And I want you to examine your own life. If you're doing anything else, just, just set that to the side for right now. Just, just you and God alone right now. You need to close your eyes, bow your head, whatever you need to do. I want you to take a moment today, church. I want you to examine your own life. Examine your heart. Are you living a life of trust and obedience to God? Are you? Is your life an open invitation to others? to experience the goodness of God. Do you have metaphorically tattooed across your forehead taste and see? Taste and see he's been so good to me. Taste and see, I have been through some things, but God has been faithful. Taste and see, I have battled through cancer, but God has healed me. Taste and see, I have seen my marriage on the rocks, but God has restored it. Taste and see, I've had nothing in my bank account, but God is my provider. Taste and see, I once was lost, but now I am found. Taste and see, I used to be broken, but God has put me back together. Is that your life? But the Lord will redeem those who serve Him. No one who takes refuge in Him will be condemned. You do not stand condemned when you give your life to Jesus. You stand redeemed. You stand forgiven. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we gather at this, your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, and to proclaim release to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He healed, he fed, he ate with those who've been casted out. And He established for us a new covenant, forgiveness of our sins.
And we live today in the hope that Jesus is returning. So we gather here as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you. Praise and thanksgiving. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts? Would you make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ? That we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, God, would you make us one in Christ, one with each other, one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until he comes again in his final victory. And now, Father, we pray as your Son taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 